Welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the truth of the Catholic faith without compromise and without apology. We want to give you high energy and non-boring Catholicism, where anyone at any time can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. We do apologetics, spirituality, other religions, our culture, and more. Most of all, we want to inspire you, inform you, and help you to know, love, and live your Catholic faith with purpose and passion. We are Catholic Truth. We're going to be talking about the errors, the lies, and the outlandish claims that Seventh-day Adventists make and Ellen G. White regarding the Catholic Church. This is going to be in two parts. This is the first part refuting the errors and the claims of the Seventh-day Adventists. We're going to be talking about the Seventh-day Adventists and many of the errors, misconceptions, and slander that they have against the Catholic Church. They're one of the most rabid anti-Catholic religions on the face of the earth. And it's no surprise because of the book that their founder wrote, Ellen G. White. She wrote a book called The Great Controversy, and this book is over 600 pages, and it has up to 5 to 10 errors, sometimes on almost every single page. I mean, there are thousands of errors in this book, all against the Catholic Church. So we're going to be answering a lot of these and showing why they are incorrect. And if you are a Seventh-day Adventist, we ask that you consider humbly and openly the things that we're going to say. And we truly do feel bad for Seventh-day Adventists because they truly don't know better. I mean, they just are taking what Ellen G. White says and what Adventists have always said, and they've passed that on. They've learned this information, but it's wrong information. Unlike Mrs. White, who claims no sources, cites no sources, no facts, no evidence, no nothing. We're just supposed to take her word for it, apparently, her opinion on all of these things. We are actually in this video going to quote many Catholic sources so you can see what she says and then what the Catholic Church actually believes. We're also going to quote encyclopedias, early church fathers, and more. So let's begin. In the 1800s, there was what's known as the Restoration Movement, and there was a movement known as the Adventists, and it was led by William Miller, who predicted the end of the world on a specific date. And the Bible says if you predict something to happen in the name of the Lord and it doesn't come to pass, then you are a false prophet. And that's exactly what happened with William Miller, who predicted the end of the world and it didn't come to pass. And so his movement broke apart into different sects. One of those sects became the Jehovah's Witnesses. Another Another one of those sects became the Seventh-day Adventists. Jehovah's Witnesses continued to try to preach the end of the world and predict its dates and have failed miserably, and we have a whole video on that above. Uh, but the Adventists, the Seventh-day Adventists, continued to teach many of the claims. That's why Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists are actually very similar in many of their beliefs and theology. But them and the Mormons and many other religions around this time, the Church of Christ, they all claim to be the true Church of Christ. They all claim that the early church was corrupted, that there was an apostasy, and that the, the true gospel was either taken from the earth or was underground with true Christians who were hiding it, but they were there all along preserving it, and it really came down to us through the Jehovah's Witnesses, or through the Mormons, or through the Church of Christ, or the International Church of Christ, or the Seventh-day Adventists. You can see they all have the same claim, but they all contradict each other, and they all came about in the early 1800s. So the fact is that Ellen G. White started this religion the same way Joseph Smith started his, Charles Taz Russell started his, and so on and so on. They're all restoration movements, but none of them were started by Jesus. Jesus started his church 2,000 
years ago. And what the claim is in this book is that it became corrupted. I mean, through force, the devil tried to kill all of the earliest Christians. That's what Mrs. White says. And thousands and thousands of pure, pristine Christians who loved God and were on fire for his word were killed by Nero and Diocletian and the emperors of the Roman Empire. But what she doesn't tell you is that the earliest Christians were Catholic. And none of the Seventh-day Adventists have actually gone back that I know of and read the earliest Christians, because if they did, they'd see that they were Catholic. And we have whole videos on that as well. But the bottom line is, yes, Catholics were persecuted on and off for 300 years. And we have a video on that, which we'll link here and at the end as well. But then she says that the devil couldn't beat Christianity through force. So he tried a different tactic. And the tactic was to create a theology or a belief system that was from the devil. And that happened after Constantine, who blended paganism, and he took parts of Christianity and they put them together, and what came out of that was the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was an invention of the Roman Empire and the pagan emperor Constantine at the beginning of the 300s. Though one wonders how that's possible, since the Catholic Church existed before the 300s, how could a church be invented in the 300s when it existed beforehand. I mean, you have Pope Dionysus in the 200s, 262 to be in fact, excoriating heretics for not believing in the divinity of Christ. Pope Dionysius was a Catholic. He was a Pope, and he existed for 75 years before Constantine. So how could the Catholic Church be invented? And that's not to say anything about just a martyr who was a Catholic, Irenaeus, uh, Cyprian, who's the Bishop of Carthage, and many, many, many more. But Ellen G. White in her story says, it's sort of like the Da Vinci Code, <laughs> claims to be true, but it's actually not. She says that Constantine befriended the Christian church for political reasons because he wanted to unify his empire and grow in power politically. But of course, this is not true. Constantine had an authentic, real conversion experience. And in fact, he was he had a battle with Maxentius, who had already taken out most of the empire with his army. In fact, Maxentius had the Praetorian Guard, which had not lost a single battle in over 125 years. So in over a century, this elite army had never lost a battle. And with the entire empire behind him, he was marching toward Constantine. And Constantine was consulting animal liver and soothsayers. And I mean, he was a pagan. He was trying to divine his future. And everybody counseled him against going up against Maxentius. But then, out of the blue, he had a vision, he said, of a cross in the sky with the words next to it that said, in this sign you shall conquer. And he had known of the Christians because his father was the first emperor who is favorable, really favorable to the Christians. So he already liked the Christians because his father did. He wasn't trying just to get close to them for political reasons. I mean, they were a speck on the map who was being annihilated in every way, shape, and form. There was no reason to get close to the, to the Christians for political reasons. It was actually going to hurt you in the long run because the whole empire was pagan, not Christian. But that aside... He had a vision from the God of the Christians, he said. And in his vision from the God of the Christians, he decided to go to war against Maxentius, against all, I mean, Maxentius's army was twice, maybe three times the size of uh, Constantine's, who, who really had the poorest in the empire. And long story short, he had this amazing uh, conversion. He had amazing win and victory. And altars were set up all the way back to Rome, pagan altars, so he could offer sacrifice 
to the pagan god Jupiter in thanksgiving for his victories. And all the pagans were ready for that. But he went back to Rome without stopping at a single altar, without making any sacrifices. No pagan sacrifices, no Jupiter, no pagan customs, nothing. And in fact, he got close to the Pope, and he got close to Bishop Osius, who was assigned to Constantine to teach him the Christian faith. So Bishop Osius was constantly teaching Constantine about the Catholic faith, about Jesus Christ, about the gospel, and so on. And just so you know, Constantine had no involvement in church doctrine, no involvement in church affairs. He had no involvement in making laws or doctrines or anything else. So the people who say Constantine changed Christianity is absolutely not true. And you can look up in the Encyclopedia Britannica, for example, probably the biggest encyclopedia, or the New World Encyclopedia, one of the most famous encyclopedias. Both of these are two of the top encyclopedias that say that it is a myth that Constantine started all of this for political reasons, or he got close to the Catholic Church just to, or the Christianity just to unify his empire. They both said that it seems he had a legitimate uh, conversion experience. That's what all of the earliest Christians taught. That's what his story was. That's what other pagans said, that he had some sort of experience. I mean, so a lot of people were saying the same thing. And then Seventh-day Adventists, with no information, with no quotes, with no uh, documentation, with no citations, with nothing, were just supposed to believe their opinion. They say, oh, he did it for political reasons, or for this, or for that. But really, there, he had a true conversion, and he truly did become a Christian. And he changed many of the laws, the pagan customs and laws of the land, and started to make them more Christian. Was he perfect right away? Of course not. Conversion takes time, but he was on the way. Nonetheless, despite the faulty foundation, Ellen G. White goes on to present a myriad of errors and pagan practices and theology that the Christianity supposedly adopted and that supposedly don't go back to the time of Christ and are supposedly wrong. So we're going to talk about a few of these right now. If you were looking for a video on the Sabbath and what Seventh-day Adventists believe about the Sabbath, we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end, but we're going to dedicate a specific whole video toward that topic. Sadly, Ellen G. White gets so much wrong, not just a little wrong, like a lot wrong, so off base. It's like saying that George Washington was the first female president, or Abraham Lincoln was a three-foot Amazonian woman who was Asian. I mean, like, so far off the thing she says, it's sad that other people in these religions actually believe them because they haven't fact-checked these things she said for herself. And we're going to go through a few of them here. One common Adventist argument is that the Pope calls himself God on earth. He's a blasphemer. He's the beast from the book of Revelation who takes the name of God, and he is the devil on earth incarnate, pretty much. I mean, that is basically what she says, which is why Adventists hate Catholics so much, or at least hate the Catholic Church so much. And they say that the Pope does this through different titles. Like one of the titles he's supposed to have is Vicarius Filiae Dei, which is Vicar of the Son of God. And numerically, if you add that up, the Seventh-day Adventists will say, it comes out to 666. See, each letter has a numerical value, like V in Vicarius, it represented by the number 5. C equals 100, and so on. So each letter has a number, and Vicarius Filii Dei adds up to 666, which proves that the Pope is the Antichrist. But of course, this is not true for 
a few reasons. But number one, because that is actually not a title of the Pope. It is not now and never has been a title of the Pope. It's literally a fabrication. There is one person in the Seventh-day Adventists who quoted two sources who both got them from the same unknown source in the 300s that was a known forgery known as the Donation of Constantine. That's not actually a Catholic document. It's a forgery. So all of their information is coming from a forgery that really is an unknown document and nobody takes seriously and historians have already debunked and that is supposed to be their great citation. But reality is you will never find this uh, title. You'll never find these words or anything like that in an official Catholic document because it's not a title of the Pope. But what's really ironic is that Ellen G. White, when you spell that out numerically, it actually does add up to 666. Hmm. The next one is Lord God the Pope. (laughs) Oh my gosh, God have mercy if that was his title. But that's what they say, that Lord God, the Pope, is his official title. And that is in canon law, which actually is not true. They've never read canon law. They've never read the original documents of the canon law because it's not in the original documents of the canon law. And so they're taking one place where they think it is, even though it's not, and it was added centuries later by a priest. We don't know why or where. It was somewhere in the margins, like a commentary explaining something, but it wasn't actually in the documents, and no Catholic is actually taught, and no official document of the Catholic Church officially teaches, or even teaches at all, that the Pope is called the Lord God the Pope. It's just literally a myth. It's There's no evidence for it. It seems like any evidence that looks incriminating, doesn't matter if it's true or not, we're going to hop on it and take it because we really, really want it to be true. We really need to fact check our sources more. We really need to look up things more and see if they're true and be more intellectually honest. Ellen G. White goes on to say in her book that consciousness in death laid the foundation of which Rome established the invocation of the saints and my favorite, the adoration of the Virgin Mary. From this sprung forth also the heresy of eternal torment of the finally impenitent. In other words, hell. Hell was created by the Catholic Church during this time. And adoration, worship of Mary, which is due to God, was given to Mary. But of course, this is all wholly false. And to prove this to you, I'm going to read actual Catholic documents, which she didn't quote, which she didn't cite. She gave no information. I'm actually going to show you what Catholics truly believe from official Catholic documents. These will come from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The first one comes from 2096 in paragraph 2097. It says that adoration is the first act of virtue in religion. To adore God, not Mary, to adore God is to acknowledge Him as God as the Creator and the Savior, the Lord and the Master of everything that exists. And it goes on to quote Deuteronomy 4, which says that you shall love and worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Notice it says nothing about Mary. Notice it says nothing about worshiping Mary. If the Catholic Church was all about worshiping Mary and creating officially doctrines of Mary worship, which she is saying, then it would be everywhere all over Catholic teaching, and it's found nowhere. And in fact, the opposite is found. In 2099, it says that it is right to offer sacrifice to Mary. Oh, wait. No, it doesn't say that. It says it's right to offer sacrifice to God 
as a sign of adoration and gratitude, supplication and communion. Nothing about Mary. Last, and there's many, many more, but 2135 in the Catechism says that you shall worship the Lord your God, Matthew 4.10, adoring, again, adoring God, praying to him, offering him the worship that belongs to him alone. This is all part of the first commandment, it says. So the Catholic Church is so clear that adoration is only for God alone. It's not for Mary or for anyone else. Next, she says hell was invented by the Catholic Church around this time, but Christians have believed in hell since the beginning of Christianity. Again, people, just go back and read the earliest Christians for yourselves. Please, don't take my word for it. Don't take her word for it. Go back and read the earliest pristine Christians before Constantine, and you will see that they believed in hell, and you will see that they believed in the Catholic Church, and Peter being the rock, and Mary, and so many other things. These weren't invented by Constantine. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 21, 31 to 46. It's talking about the sheep and the goats, and it says, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food, thirsty, and you gave me no drink, etc., etc. And they said, Lord, when did we see you? And he said, When you did not do these for the least of my brethren, you did not do them for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So in here, we see that the people are sent to the eternal damnation, to the exact same place that the devil and his angels are sent, which is hell. And it says it's eternal and it's punishment. And Revelation 14, 9 through 11 says the torment of their smoke and punishment will rise up before the Lamb night and day forever, and they will have no rest from their torment, those who are cast into the lake of fire. I mean, the Bible speaks pretty clearly about hell, but we're going to have a whole video on that. Let's move on. The next thing she says is this, quote, Paganism gave place to the papacy, and then would begin the 1260-year people oppression that was foretold by Prophet Daniel and by Revelation. Christians were forced to choose to yield either to their integrity and accept the ceremonies and worship, or to wear away their lives in dungeons and suffered death by the rack and the herdsman axe. The accession of the Roman church to power marked the beginning of the Dark Ages, and her power increased and darkness deepened. Faith was transferred from Christ, the true foundation, to the Pope of Rome. Sounds like a movie, right? They were taught that the Pope was their earthly mediator, and nobody could approach God except through him, that evil Pope. My words. They were taught not only to look to the Pope as their mediator, but to trust in their own works in order to atone for their sins. Unquote. Wow. I mean, this literally is like the Da Vinci Code. It's like a fiction movie where you just make the Catholic Church the bad guy and all of these evil things happen by the evil Catholic Church and the Pope who hunted people down systematically that defied him and that read the Bible on their own and did things like that. But of course, this is a blithering mess of sophomoric ignorance. There's not a single thing in that entire long ranting paragraph that's actually true. Where do we begin? Except to say that again. She cites no sources. She gives no citations. She gives no facts. She gives no books. She gives no actual history. She gives nothing of actual substance. She just says it, and we're supposed to believe it. There's nothing backed up by actual, like, historians. But 
beyond that. Does the Catholic Church teach that the Pope is the only mediator between, I mean, some, it's, it's funny because Protestants say, no, Mary's the mediator. The Seventh-day Adventists, no, the Pope's the mediator. Maybe they're both the mediator. But the reality is that in Vatican II, which is the last official ecumenical council of the Catholic Church, the Church says this specifically. It says that, quote, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man himself, who is a man, Jesus Christ, who himself gave as a ransom his life for all, 1 Timothy 2.5. And neither, the council continues, is there salvation in any other name except Christ, Acts 4.12. Therefore, everyone ought to be converted in Christ. And it goes on to say how we become a member of the church and incorporated into his body because the church is his body. Nothing about Mary. Nothing about the Pope. It says Jesus is the mediator, and I could find a hundred quotes for you saying that Jesus is the only mediator. So if somebody can finally stop accusing the Catholic Church and actually do some research or get some facts or say one quote from any Catholic source where the Catholic Church shows this or that, you can't say the Pope is the only mediator without verifying that. You can't say the Pope is the mediator without quoting the Pope or the documents of the church or the catechism or council or something else. Can you see how frustratingly ignorant this is? You can make comments. You can make claims. You can make assertions all day long. But if you can't back them up, they're not true. Stop being gullible. Go follow astrology. You might as well, because people say that's true too without any evidence. But the fact is, people say that Mary's the mediator. There's never been a statement in the world that says Mary is the mediator between God and man. And the same thing is true for the Pope. All the documents unanimously say that adoration and worship is for God alone, and that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Even if people pray for each other, they go to Jesus who's the perfect mediator. Same thing with those who say that the Catholic Church killed everyone. The Catholic Church killed millions of people, and in fact, she does say that in this book. Millions and millions of people the Catholic Church just killed. Anyone who disagreed with them, anyone who was caught with the Bible, anyone who didn't believe in the Eucharist, they were killed with the herdsman acts, and they were put on racks, and they were left in dungeons to die, and all of these absolutely atrociously shameful, slanderous claims that just aren't true. And I would beg any Seventh-day Adventist or any anti-Catholics at all out there to actually find out what the truth is. Because God, our God, he's a God of truth. He hates lies. He hates lies because they're from the devil. So if you're purporting and promoting lies and perpetuating the cycle of lies that aren't true to begin with, you're actually going along with the devil because these things are from the devil. That's why she's like Jack Chick, Jack Chick, who we have a whole video on. You can see that too. He says all of these preposterous things against the Catholic Church. But the thing is, he goes on to say, oh, but history covered it all up. That's why there's no information for it. It's completely dishonest. Catholics out there, this is why it's so important to ask anti-Catholics where they got that information to give you a source because 99% of the time, they can't. They can't show you where the Pope is the mediator or where the Catholic Church teaches that just because it's not true. They've heard it, but they haven't fact-checked it themselves. And that's what's so sad about anti-Catholics. I'm not talking about Protestants or people who just disagree with the church. I'm talking about anti-Catholics who don't even care if the information is true. They just want to seek and destroy the Catholic Church.
If you enjoyed this first podcast on this topic, make sure to check out our second coming up this week. If you are new to Catholic Truth, please check out our website at thecatholictruth.org. And if you need a Catholic speaker, apologetic seminars, if you want a confirmation retreat, anything, check out our website at info at thecatholictruth.org. It has videos as well, blogs, uh, podcasts. It has retreats, parish missions, and so much more. So check it out at info at thecatholictruth.org. And if you can, please support our ministry. Check out our Patreon and our PayPal below. You help us to reach others. And I want to thank all of our patrons for supporting our work. It's you who help us reach others. So thank you, and God bless.